Welcome to Fortress on a Hill. I'm Henry. I'm Danny. I'm Kagan. We're three leftist veterans that aim to expose the reality of the U.S. military's multiple wars abroad and to illuminate the damage military service does to Americans. American presidents throughout U.S. history have used American military and diplomatic power to force regime change of democratically elected governments around the world. Most veterans come from families vested in prior service, and American generals choose their own, ensuring diversity of thought never interferes with American warmongering. How can we stand by and do nothing while our military kills and destroys lives the world over, while telling Americans that all this death and destruction protects them from terrorists when nothing could be more false? Fortress on a Hill aims to change that. Tom Secker, welcome back to Fortress on a Hill. Thanks for having me back, man. I mean, it's uh, it's been a little while since we spoke last. Was the last one was uh, Platoon, wasn't it? I believe so. Yeah, I think, I think the last one we we talked about was uh, was Platoon. So yeah, great to be talking to you again, as always, as always. Yeah, I'm uh, glad glad to glad to glad to have you here. Um, so today we're going to talk about the third film in Oliver Stone's Vietnam trilogy, um, Heaven and Earth. Um, it is a pretty big step away from uh, traditional American war movies, and even even from Platoon and Born on the Fourth of July in, in some ways. Um, and I, 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 th I think it was, you know, it was, it was done really well, and I think that the... Uh, um, uh, like we were talking about before we started recording, you know, the, the, to give a full arc of of someone's character to see them as a as a young person, where they come from, up through, you know, all the various stages of of becoming an adult, and especially to understand what it means when war is a is a um, unrequested dance partner in that in that person's life. Um, mm. Um, and it also gives us in the, you know, with, with Platoon, we saw, you know, Chris Taylor uh, beginning to end of his deployment there um, on, on the ground in Vietnam. And then with Born on the Fourth of July, we had uh, Ron's arc from, uh, it, it had a couple scenes as a kid, didn't it? But most of it was, you know, late teenager through uh, the convention, the Democratic National Convention that they showed it and if, mm -hmm. if i remember correctly yeah 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 i mean this one is more like born on the fourth of july but it's sort of even bigger yeah. in terms of the scope of the central character's life um yeah born on the fourth basically starts with him being about 17 i think like you say there are a couple of childhood scenes but i don't remember them so they were, clearly didn't have that much impact um and yeah we see him from there through to I'm not sure how many years after he returns from Vietnam. It didn't seem like it not, was very long. It was it's a, not that many, clearly. Yeah, it's yeah. not like this is a 15, 20-year arc that he goes on. Whereas in Heaven and Earth, it's, I don't know, 40 years of her life, almost? Something, something like, like that, that yeah. It's, it's quite um, impressive. Uh, there's a lot in there. There's an awful lot that happens in this movie. For a film that isn't at all really action-based and isn't even that fast-paced no it manages no. to cram so much of this woman's life 
onto the screen. I think that was probably my overriding impression, just from a kind of film craft point of view, is that it was clearly an incredibly ambitious screenplay to try to tell so much story in one movie. In I mean, it's like two hours. It's not even that long a movie. Yeah. Um, it's it's like there's enough story in there for a twelve episode TV season. Um, probably more than enough, to be honest. That they could have, you know, you you could stretch it out that far, and I don't think it would seem thin. And I don't want to say it's the best of the three. Vietnam films. I mean, I guess Stone has actually made more than three Vietnam films um, since most of his films are ultimately in some way about the Vietnam War. But the trilogy, the sort of recognized Stone Vietnam trilogy, um, I wouldn't say it's the best one. I'd say some aspects of it are the best out of those three. They're all terrific movies. Um, I found this one wonderfully metaphysical for one thing, and just very, very touching. I mean, the other two are emotional films, powerful films. Um, they didn't kind of touch me emotionally as deeply as this one did. Um, yeah, that would be my basic kind of first impressions of it, overall impressions of it. Yeah, there was a there was a kind of catharsis that came across in this in this one that the other two i i i assume by design did not uh did not have and um just to to get started with it i i really enjoyed the fact that the story went back as far as i think it was 53 1953 mm -hmm. um when the french first came to vietnam um and in terms of us understanding you know the the full historical arc that I don't know that most people could tell you that the French were there before American advisors arrived in the you know late fifties, early sixties. Mm -hmm. Um, and to understand what happens to a region, both the people that live there and the environment and what war does to it. Um, and, and looking over my notes last night, I, I, I was thinking about the, um, there's a, a Bedouin, um, uh, groupings of, uh, of Iraqis that um, used to populate southern Iraq and because of their the waterways that they were able to grow crops in have all been destroyed between American bombings and, and going after oil and all the other wonderful things that American occupation bring to a place like Iraq. But I, I was trying to think about the before and it's not often in a war film that you see a genuine before. This was before anyone came. Um, it's such a beautiful place, you know, such a, a, a neat place. And, and that it also begins with her and her family discussing about their connections to the land through their ancestors, um, which is something else that is, is it's, it's, I don't want to say it's 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 not American, but it's not common for Americans to have that point of view. You know, we we don't we don't modern Americans don't take the long look in terms of what their ancestors did, what they contributed, didn't contribute, any anything like that. So it was it was really refreshing to see that, um, to see that them them make those kind of connections, and that that is something that we miss 
as as Americans is that that Western viewpoint that there were things here before. You know, there were however many million Native Americans in uh, the United States before American settler colonialism uh, kicked in and, and all these people got killed or forced out. Um, oh, it's the same. I mean, perhaps going back even further, it's the same coming from a major European power. I mean, people in this country don't feel that kind of attachment to the land um, for various reasons, obviously. But I guess we only feel it as a kind of collective nationalistic thing that there is still a fair amount of like proud to be British and, you know, Britain's sort of important and special and we're the British and therefore we're important and special. Yeah, yeah. All, all of that. But it's only really through that mechanism that we feel that attachment to our ancestry and our past. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of like nostalgic yearning for the empire. And there again, it's sort of, well, everywhere that was part of the British Empire existed a long time before we turned up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and some of those places had all kinds of stuff going on that we, in fact, wrecked. Um, and other places perhaps weren't very developed. And I mean, there's some positive, obviously, consequences of the British Empire. I think the negative consequences massively outweigh them. Um, but yeah, it's still that very much that sort of uh, not even the white man's burden, more like they're lucky to have us. They're lucky that we have been colonized by a, a people as great as the British. <laughs> there is, a, you know, that idea is still about, but it's all funneled into nationalism and militarism. It isn't like about being proud of our culture or proud of our language or, you know, any of the actual good things about Britain. It's it's all the worst aspects that that kind of emotion is is inspired by and then funneled into um and yeah it's lovely to have a film that takes such a long view and such a broad view um but also that has a real kind of emotional and as i say metaphysical depth to it mm -hmm. that there is meaning for these people in this land it's not just a place to live and you know grow food and all the rest of it it's something much more profound than that whether it be a religious thing or a familial ancestry thing or a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, all of the above ultimately is implied at one point in the movie. Um, and yeah, so unusual for an American film or even a British film for that matter to even acknowledge any of that stuff, let alone make it a core part of the story and of the protagonist's arc. I, I also loved that the that the lead character in the film was a woman. Um, you can't find very many war films that have um, female leads of any kind, um, and especially ones that are not Caucasian, that are not the, 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 white, the white leads, the, you know, the American or the, the, the British ones. Um, and I was, I was reading through some of the reviews last night, just kind of wanted to see what, what other people said, and, and the, the the consensus was that um, that the the main character arc wasn't as good as Platoon or Born on the Fourth of July, and I thought, does that have anything to do with because she's a woman and because mm -hmm. the, the the roles in society and the the roles in warfare are that this this film, this story diverges from them in, in such a major way. Um, 
because I, I didn't notice any of that. I don't know about you, but I, I didn't feel like that the the arc of it was was less powerful. It is certainly, you know, it is it is much more comprehensive and uh, delves into a bit more interpersonal stuff, I think. But it it's uh, but that didn't make it any less powerful to me. And I wondered if 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 the reason that because it was a a female lead that that male reviewers would not be as inclined to see this person as a i guess a battlefield equal if we want to call it that yeah yeah i think there's definitely an element of that in in those sorts of negative comments about the story arc or at least the protagonist's arc because so much of it is told in small moments, especially the segment after she gets to America. A lot of this is like dinner table stuff. Mm -hmm. It's very profound and important, and it's all, you know, signifying something much greater and bigger than what's actually going on domestically. But it's told through that sort of scene. Whereas most of what happens in, say, Born on the Fourth of July is very high drama. It's kind of high drama from start to finish, whereas mm -hmm. Heaven and Earth tells it in much more smaller moments uh, that in themselves a lot of them aren't that dramatic um, so I think there's probably an element of that too but yeah of course it's that you know when you have a central character it's not only they're not only telling a story from a perspective that you either haven't seen before or haven't certainly haven't seen very much of before but also through a character that isn't the sort of character you expect to see be the anchor for a film like this. I mean, I can understand just as a sort of natural instinct, people aren't going to feel as much for her as they do for Tom Cruise in Ron in um, Born on the Fourth of July or, you know, Charlie Sheen's character in Platoon. Um, because it's not so immediately apparent to them why this matters and why they should care just as much about this story, if not more so, than the previous Oliver Stone stories. But I had the opposite reaction. I think the actress is absolutely wonderful. I found her totally captivating at almost every moment of this film. Um, not just in a sort of, you know, man watching a woman kind of a way, but, um, you know, in a, in a much more deep way than that. I cared about this character. I wanted her to succeed. I wanted things to get better for her. I wanted to see these things you know her life get better and her overcome these demons and and i certainly felt that in the other two movies but not quite the same extent because i don't think they got into the emotional side quite as explicitly this is a much more feminine film it's much it sort of wears its emotions on its sleeve more i yeah. think um and yeah i mean when this film came out, I'm guessing 98% of film reviewers were white men, and they're just not as likely, even though we're sitting here two white guys saying the exact opposite, but, you know, um, it's just not what they were expecting. And a lot of, especially film reviewers who probably watch three films a day and review all of them, they're used to stereotypes, they're used to simplicity. This is not a simple film. This yeah. has layers and complexity beyond what almost any other American film of the last sort of my lifetime, you know, in my lifetime has actually managed to accomplish. There's probably a handful of others that I'm not thinking of, but this is right up there. And 
layers of emotional complexity. It's not like geopolitics. This isn't a thriller. This isn't where, you know, it's a complex plot that's a social commentary or something. This is more about a person's actual lived experience. And so that's harder to immediately grab hold of and understand the significance of. So I think they've, yeah, they've kind of just missed the point, to be honest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, around the time that the French came to um, came to Lili's village, um, which which her her family home ended up getting burned to the ground. And it was kind of, a, you know, an initial salvo for her in understanding war. And, you know, there was you could see a lot of confusion in her trying to understand why this happened. And then it carried on a bit to later when the when the Viet Cong actually arrived in her village and, and gathered everybody together and explained, there's this war coming, we want you to be on our side of it. Um, and you could see in her dad's face almost all you needed to know about his experience with it because he he was already at that place of understanding what war meant and what it could mean to the people that he loved um and you know there was some confusion with Leli and in looking at her dad why was he doing this you know or what what was Hmm. what was painting him so greatly but that goes back into that generational experience you know that the you know that their their culture was very steeped in tradition understanding one's ancestors and that the lessons of that the lessons of what had happened in 53 with the French. Um, I want to say that there was, uh, prior to that, there was uh, a Chinese occupation that happened adjacent to World War II, um, or it may have been the Japanese. I, I, I can't remember. But anyways, it was a place where a lot of war had happened over a very long period of time. Mm. Um, but, but just seeing her old man come to terms with that and come to terms with understanding the death and destruction that that may be coming it, it was it was really uh really powerful to me um and then yeah, i did, I, I did like the the kind of contrast in that moment between or that little sequence between her confusion and his sort of it's not quite steely resolve in a you know typical american sense but um that yeah, he he seems to grasp it, that the shock of what's just happened mm-hmm. might might only be the opening salvo or just the latest salvo in an ongoing you know series of invasions of their their home. Um, that yeah, that he's in some way a mirror to her experience. Yeah. That, because he has, like you say, this much greater wisdom of a knowledge of just how many times this has happened and how many, how easy it is in some ways for this to happen. Um, and thus, he I, kind of processes the shock. That's not quite what I'm trying to say. That he appreciates, he feels the pain of what has happened, but that he can't in any way give in to it because he knows it's probably coming again. Yeah. Um, and of course, that is exactly what then happens. And we all know, watching this film, anyone, I mean, I doubt there's anyone who's watched this film who isn't at least somewhat familiar with the Vietnam War, and, you know, the, 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 at least that that happened. They know it's coming again. We're watching this. We all know 
Yeah. His prediction, his sort of intuition is going to come true. And that's what I mean about the metaphysical side of it, that he has no particular rational reason. He has no immediate evidence for believing that, but he's damn right. Yeah. And we know he is. And that kind of connection between the audience and the a secondary character like that, um, it, it really helps create a degree of compassion and a degree of empathy for what these people are going through, that because we can feel this, that his intuition is going to come true, because we know it ultimately did, um, it's much easier for us to basically put ourselves in his shoes to actually feel something and understand something of what that must have been like to go through. And that kind of connection with someone who, let's face it, most of us will never meet that person. Um, most of us will probably never know anything about those people who, who went through that in a sort of first-hand direct experience way. So again, just as Platoon and Born on the Fourth of July managed to build some bridges of compassion and managed to actually move that dialogue about the Vietnam War forward and helped, you know, actually do something with all of that grief and pain um, that was constructive and in some way beautiful or at least very honest. This film manages it but manages it with Vietnamese protagonists. Yeah. And that's not easy to do. That's oh, my phone keeps going off. Um, sorry, I'll mute it. Uh, that really impressed me because it's not necessarily something I would normally buy into, or I certainly wouldn't buy into it if it was done in a shallow, shallow tokenistic way. Whereas this film does it with such depth that I did buy into it and actually was like like i say just really rooting for these people yeah it's uh i i would i would love to be able to tell a story like this in um <clears throat> in the shoes of iraqis in the shoes of of people under under the american occupation and to have those same kind of sentiments those those um you know their their own connection to their surroundings and and trying to make sense of it because they they also have the long the long arc of war between <clears throat> between everything that happened there the Iraq Iran war um, Persian Gulf War our sanctions all all that all that stuff but hmm. um so next we move into Levi's relationship with both the Viet Cong and the newly arrived South Vietnamese military. And it very clearly shows how difficult it is for her to attempt to balance that. Um, that, you know, the, the uh, I, I, I don't know what I would say that, that she seemed like she had a greater connection to the VC there, but that it was, um, her, because her brother had joined up um, with them, um, there was a lot of of tied up emotion for her in how they behaved, what they did. Is my brother going to be okay? Um, and knowing that these are the guys that come in the night, you know, these are the guys that aren't going to just walk up on a on a patrol to your home. Um, you know, they're people that know your village, know your um, who you are. 
and and although they didn't give any clear-cut understanding about it about where loyalties lie because <clears throat> she she saw her her teacher get murdered by the south vietnamese um according to them for being uh, a vc sympathizer or uh was it teaching uh teaching them on their on uh, the vc's behalf something like that something so like she got that. to see yeah, that yeah. oh uh, sorry go ahead um well i mean just to jump in on on, on what you're saying here yeah I, I very much felt that sequence was a little bit confusing in as much as she clearly does have some kind of mixed loyalties here and she yeah. clearly does have some kind of internal conflict as to quite where she position positions herself in the midst of all of these different factions um but there again that's something that's so so wonderful about this movie is that you get to see several waves of people different people coming to this village uh mostly bringing a fair amount of chaos and violence with them in one form or another um from all sorts of different angles so you very much get the sense of you know this this is just some you know little place that's caught in the crossfire between all of these different factions struggling for control or whatever it is that they're trying to do and trying to achieve um so naturally she would have some degree of split loyalties and confusion about this. So even though I found that part of the film a bit confusing, I think that was the entire point. Yes. We're not quite supposed to, you know, this isn't a simple story of you're supposed to be on this side rather than that side. You're basically on her side, yeah, but yeah. even her side, because she's somewhat confused and divided on it. Yeah, that's where you end up. So again, it's about, you know, building that compassionate bond between a protagonist and, and an audience so that they actually understand something of what that must have been like. It's very well done. Very well done. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I appreciated that they did, you know, make it confusing that it was, you know, that the, um, to understand to actually have to be physically stuck between two actual armies, between two entirely different groups of actual soldiers, who, like you said, the the only prominent thing that they bring is is death and destruction. Um, you know, that's not what they say, but that is definitely what they do. Um, and I really liked her, uh, there's a, a little, just a little bit later, she started having nightmares about her brother um, being thrown from a helicopter. Um, and there was a comment that she made about the, um, that the ant, the ant in the ant hill never moves up they only move further in in terms of that the you know that that their chosen loyalty to the vc you know we 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 may see it as um you know this person that clearly has sympathies with the vc but could it also just simply be because they live and work right there beside them that there is you know that that because there are members of it that are within the community but may not be um shouting to the rooftops about their affiliation that um you know informant on informant that they you know they really know what's going on but there's no chance for them to get into a position of authority or or leadership that if they try to become a bigger part of it they just bury themselves deeper there's just a, a, a 
the, the quicksand becomes that much worse in those in mm. those moments. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So then she is arrested and, and tortured, uh, brutal, brutally raped by um, some of the VC soldiers there, which to me came across as as just the most giant of betrayals because of the things that she had done on behalf of the VC that, that she had tried really hard to attempt to be in their good graces, if for no other reason than to protect herself and protect her family. And then she gets uh, arrested and raped. And then the, the, the worst thing of it all is that she is exiled from her village that because they consider her to be uh, an inform an informer of some form and function that she can't be there anymore. And unlike, you know, a, a typical Western point of view, you know, her village is her entire world. That's where she's lived her entire life. It's where the spirits of her ancestors live. Um, that being ripped away from that is almost, it, uh, it's almost a, a social womb of sorts of the, you know, in the, in the, in the bosom of her family, if we want to want to coin it that way. Um, and that was really hard to see. That was really hard to watch her go through that. Um, and, you know, carrying all these different traumas between her treatment from the VC after working on their behalf to the VC being the ones that tell her she's disloyal and kick her out of the village. Um, but I, I would say that that was that was um, one of the first big big betrayals that she goes through in a, in a move in a film filled with betrayals of different kinds. Mm, mm. And in some ways, her being exiled from the village is actually worse than what happens to her before that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's you know fucking bad enough um, for sure. But it's then followed with this. <sighs> Yeah, you're basically talking about, uh, you know, a, a pretty, I don't want to say a simple girl, but a, a girl with very little, very limited life experience, mm -hmm. but at the same time, a very serious bond to her family and her village and the land around it and all of that. Um, that that is in some way the worst crime against her at this point in the movie. Um, or at least that's certainly something that touched me very deeply that like you i had i had quite a you know strong response to that um it yeah it, it's it's kind of just kind of terrible um on the other hand it does lead to my favorite part of the movie so um, <laughs> uh i guess we i, I can live with it but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um what was that what was, what was your your favorite part of the part of the movie um well the next sequence where you know she's she's forced to move to the city and she has to adapt and we get to see her intelligence and her certainly her sense of humor really starts shining through yeah, yeah. In, in that piece i found myself laughing at her quite a lot um there's something uh I don't know why this is. There is something I find quite amusing when I hear women swear really bluntly and the number of people that she tells to fuck off in that next 
sort of section of the story um, is pretty high and it's all in every moment entirely appropriate it's the appropriate response because <laughs> um, it's like there's various men harassing her and people trying to steal her money and all the rest of it um, and yeah that's after the the suffering of that first I mean this isn't a three act story it's more like a five act story yeah um yeah. uh the, the suffering in that first act, it was very gratifying to see her, you know, okay, she's forced into this position where she has to take more control of her life and she has to now make all these decisions for herself. Um, but seeing her do that was great. Um, I just really, really enjoy that part of a story where someone is struggling, but actually manages to overcome quite a lot of those obstacles. The stuff that she overcomes in this movie is extraordinary. Um, and again, I just found, like I keep saying, I found myself rooting for her all the time. There was, uh, <clears throat> there was one, one little piece I wanted to talk about with that, um, I don't want to call it a mansion, but the, the people that her mom and her were working for just prior to her becoming homeless before she has to start selling stuff to, to GIs and learning the power of fuck off as with American GIs, which it's generally all you need to know. You just tell them to fuck off, and most of them fuck off. Um, but that she she had slept with um, the master of the house, um, which I, I um, aside from what happened to her with the VC, and not that's a, a sexual experience that someone should... should um, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, it's certainly not a good thing, but it is something that she went through. But in terms of the first time that she willingly had sex with with somebody else, um, and you can see that you know that relationship between her and the and the master, it was very very short. But it, but in terms of that, there was a bit of safety there, a bit of familiarity, and then she find she finds the the very hard place to be after the the missus of the house finds out that she's been sleeping with her husband and her mom in trying to convince the missus to let them stay there offers Leli to become a second wife to this man mm. and you see in her face in in Leli's face just this this horrible horrible state of betrayal in 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 doing that 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 now and, and i understand what the mom's place was in in trying to do that she was trying to give her daughter a, a safe place to be you know that they had talked about that it was a it was a nicer place and they had decent food and that they you know it was it wasn't a a horrible place to be but in mom offering that for Leli, there's that horrible betrayal but at the same time the mom is trying to protect her kid she's trying to give her what she sees is, is the best situation from that and then um and then she's completely cut off she's already been exiled from the village but at that at that point she gets cut off from all of her family from back in the village i don't remember where mom goes at that point um i, I think she goes Nor back why what nor do I. I think she goes back to the village. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and so, you know, she she ends up living uh, intermittently with her sister, 
who is uh, who is working as a as a prostitute there in Saigon. Um, and she's trying to sell stuff, just trying to make do, um, going through uh, going through the base garbage, trying to find food to eat, trying to find things to sell. Um, and then she ends up moving into that that whole realm, you know, telling telling GIs to fuck off because all of them want to have sex with her. And, and then there are the ones that it's not that they won't take no for an answer, but they, they try seven or eight more times thinking that she's just trying to get more money when the reality is she doesn't want to, she wasn't, Mm. doesn't want to at all. Um, so, um, then, then it comes to that two GIs offer her $400 to have sex with them, which then for what she was going through was an astronomical amount of money. It's just, I mean, it's it, especially for, from being homeless and everything. Um, and you see her really, you know, burden herself with that, that, you know, is that $400 would really, really help her at this point. She has a, has a kid, has a little boy, um, and is trying to figure out what to do. Um, and although it doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't connect directly um this kind of brings me back to you know her her issues of of being with the vc you know is or in in dealing with them in the and the southern vietnamese army that in terms of finding a a happy medium spot you know how Mm -hmm. close do i get to these people how close do i get to those people can i really trust any of them versus i need to eat my kid needs to eat um you know, I'm sure lots of the guys that worked on bases that I lived on in Iraq did not want to work there, but that where was the other work going to come from? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in war, especially in those times, other than, you know, and, and you have to pick your poison. You know, I can work for this army. I can work for that army. Um, but the people around you start to respond to that and you have to live with it. Um Okay, I'll shut up for a minute so you can talk. <laughs> no, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean that—that's. I think one of the reasons, I, aside from what I've already said about that, this segment of the film and this segment of the the story, the other thing that I really, really love about it is the the sense of pragmatism that everyone, not everyone, most of the people in this situation are trying to find the least worst thing to do mm-hmm. like with like with her mother appealing to the you know mm-hmm. the master of the house's wife and all of that again it's not that her mother is in any way evil she is no. No. She quite un, you know you understand what she's trying to do and why and even if you think i wouldn't have done that in that situation or whatever doesn't really matter it's again it's it's this much more feminine approach to storytelling where it's more about understanding why people do the things they do and what's important to them mm-hmm. and that carries throughout this whole section it's not just the practical pragmatic challenge of you know i've got to like you say i've got to feed myself i've got to feed my kid and everything but also the the challenge of i guess figuring out what it is that she she really wants in this situation because she's up to that point 
kind of just been parachuted into this mm-hmm. most of most of the major things that have happened were not her fault and weren't of her choosing um and then like you say you get this situation with the two gis offering her this extraordinary amount of money to prostitute herself essentially and yeah what choice would you make in that situation it's very difficult to know it's i mean it's kind of impossible to know until you're actually in it i guess and that sense really came through that you know that very down-to-earth human sense of well you can't pick and choose the situation around you you can only pick and choose your own responses to it and which opportunities or whatever come your way you actually try and pursue and again i i I mean, I really sympathized with her throughout all of this, but also enjoyed watching it, enjoyed watching someone go through that uh, maturing and that realization that, you know, her choices really matter mm-hmm. and, that, and that she has some. Because um, up until that point, she doesn't really have that many choices. Um, and that's... Yeah, I just had a great affection for that part of the movie, not just because it made me laugh, but because it's something I think we've all found ourselves in that at some point in our life. Not quite like what she had to go through, but something akin to that, um, of where you you realise you're in a fairly desperate situation of some kind or another, whether it be financial, emotional, whatever. Um but that you do ultimately have some degree of choice and you have some degree of power no matter how much chaos is surrounding you. And, yeah, it's just sort of it, it, a beautiful thing, uh, a beautiful story to tell because of that, because it's about things that... It's not just about the Vietnam War at all. It's about so much more than that and things that I think almost anyone certainly beyond the age of like 30 or something, uh, possibly even younger, would be able to relate to this. And, you know, it's, it's by far the least successful of Oliver Stone's Vietnam films. Hardly anyone has seen this film in relative terms. Um, and like I say, in some ways, it's the best of the bunch. Um, so I hope, <laughs> I guess where, where I'm really going with this is, is also that I hope that anyone who hasn't already seen Heaven and Earth or hasn't seen it in a long time, like I haven't before I rewatched it so that we could have this conversation, um, go back and give it a rewatch. There is so much in this movie that's great and there is so much in it that is provocative and will hopefully bring out the best in you. Because that's I know I keep mentioning the word compassion, but that's what this film is. It's an extremely compassionate film. And if it helps inspire the people watching it to be more compassionate, then that's a bloody good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have far, far too many war films that compassion is uh, at best uh, a faraway secondary character if it's mentioned at all. Mm. Um, and I, I think that they should, should create more films like this, especially to understand the cyclical nature of war and and what it does to people over multiple generations Mm. um so the next next big thing in the story is steve and steve is a uh he's a e6 marine um who's stationed near near at in in saigon or, or near saigon 
and i trying to remember i want to say they saw each other on the street first and then he like tracked her down later um and had to, to find out where she where she was at and mm. there's this this really long i don't know if we want to call it a, a, a courtship but a a period where she doesn't really want anything to do with him she believes that he's you know just another gi that he probably wants sex and and nothing else and steve goes out of his way to demonstrate that he he's genuine that that what what you see is what you get um that he cares for her cares for her son um and you you can see her trying to you know that the her fighting that impulse of of wanting to put any trust into him you know she's gotten to this place where she is you know she's she's kind of protecting herself and her son but it's it's a very tight circle and and there there isn't room for steve in it um and he you know he really demonstrates that to her over over time um and one exchange that they had that was was really powerful to me, and we've we've already touched on it a little bit, but that uh, she mentions about that Americans don't care about their ancestors, that they don't they don't care what they do to the world. Now, Americans, historically speaking, we we have a very tight, rigorous, ranked ancestry that that most Americans cling to. You know, our our founding myths and such. But they don't come full circle in understanding not just what those men said, but what they really did. You know, their actual lived lives and the destruction that came with that. And Steve, like like me, when I joined the army, like I'm sure like many people when they join the military, that that's the, that's the ancestry, if we want to call it that, that they carry with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't carry with them, you know, being deployed to Iraq, they don't carry with them what the U.S. military has done there over the last 50 to 70 years, which absolutely, you know, should fit into that history. But you, you see this very clear contrast between the two of them. Um, and, and, you know, Steve, you know, Steve does have, have some good redeeming qualities, but he doesn't, he doesn't look at life in that same way that she does. Um she doesn't he he doesn't have have the long view of 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 understanding those things he tells her very specifically that he's looking for an oriental wife that that is that is the reason i mean he cares for her he shows shows her that and stuff but that is his his ultimate goal mm. then we uh we come to the um evacuation of saigon um, towards the end of the war that uh, there's just chaos everywhere. Uh, Steve told her that uh, her and her son were on a list to be able to uh, access uh, one of the bases to be able to get a, get a ride home. Um, he finds them um, in, in Saigon and actually physically puts them on a helicopter um, and tells it, you know, it, it was, like I said, it was absolute chaos there in terms of the, the, the initial American pullout, um, from Vietnam, but he puts them on this helicopter and tells it to leave. He's still on the ground. You know, there's not room for him on, on the bird. And he says, you, you 
get I'll, I'll come and I'll find you later. Um, and then he's listed as uh, missing in action. So um, there's a, a period there where she's not sure if he's even still alive. And it, that whole area, that whole section of the film really nails down the desperation that's happening for people in that time wanting to be able to to get safe especially if you know that that um now for Lee Lai being the partner of an American GI that the uh the North Vietnamese or the VC will not look kindly on her if they happen to find her mm -hmm. um and uh what uh, what did you think about that part Tom well again it's a bit like the the village in the opening act of the film is she's very much caught in the crossfire of all of this. Um, and <sighs> I mean, I don't know the, the sequence with the helicopter. I mean, I don't know whether this actually happened in reality um, did feel, <sighs> I guess it only felt a little bit hackneyed to me because I've seen it so many times mm -hmm. not because inherently there's anything actually wrong with that you know, little, little piece of the story. Um, and that's a tiny little gripe in an otherwise outstanding, amazing film. Um, <laughs> yeah, again, it, it's the way this film manages... Because one of the, the cliches that's said in reviews about this movie is it tells a story about the Vietnam War from the Vietnamese perspective. I'm sure you've stumbled across this phrase yeah, in yeah. some reviews you saw. And I'm thinking that's not what this film is really doing because there is no one Vietnamese perspective. No. And, and the film does brilliantly at showing you that, that in fact the Vietnamese people were divided in so many different ways. And okay, it's largely told through the story of one woman's perspective. Um, but it is also a film where, like you say with Steve, he is actually quite charming and likable, especially in this part of the film. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's quite a, a funny scene between um, the two of them where she keeps telling him to leave and he doesn't. Um, but he doesn't do so in a sort of like aggressive, nasty way. He's just no, like, no, no. I, I, I'm wooing you. I'm not just going to give up kind of a way, which is quite likable. I mean, I'm not sure if I would actually approve of that sort of behavior, but whatever. Um, in, in terms of the film it makes you like him or at least understand where he's coming from. And that's what I think the, the real strength of this movie is, is not it's telling you it from a so-called Vietnamese perspective. It's that it's pointing out there are so many different perspectives here and a degree of understanding and compassion of all of them would actually help all of us heal somewhat yeah, in yeah. terms of coming to terms with this total fucking disaster of a war. Um, and that, that applies to everyone. That applies to Steve. It uh, applies to our protagonist. It applies to her family. You know, everyone in this film ultimately kind of suffers to some extent. And all of them have some degree of scars or grief or whatever it may be. And that, that's ultimately what the film is trying to achieve, is not tell you a story from a particular perspective, but make you aware of all the different perspectives and why actually you should care for all of these people to some extent. Except, you know, obviously the bastards, you know, the, the, the VC who rape her. I mean, I don't really give a shit about them. But pretty much everyone else in this film, I can, to some extent, see where they're coming from and why they're doing what they're doing. 
And I think that's such a strong thing and such an unusual thing, especially in a war movie. Because in a war movie, it's like sometimes you'll get, you know, critics praising something. Oh, it tells both sides. And it's like there isn't only two sides to this damn thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, can, can we not have a bit more imagination and can our compassion not extend a bit beyond simple binary thinking or some crap like that? And I know this is one of the problems of film reviewers. They talk in cliches because they're watching a lot of cliched movies. But yeah, again, I just think those reviewers who said that missed the point spectacularly. This film has so much more to offer than that. And this segment where those two are, you know, falling in love and then are ripped apart uh, really tells that, really brings that home. The guys and I love doing the podcast, being able to share our experiences in the military with allies and supporters means the world to us. But we can't do all the work. We need you to share an episode of ours with someone, anyone whom you might think would be affected by it. Young people looking to join the military or parents advocating for one, conscientious citizens who care about the violence the U.S. wages in their name, Advocates for women and people of color who understand the harsh environment the military creates for minorities and inflicts on minorities across the globe. And anyone else you think it might affect, please take a moment and share this with them. Our podcast is supported in a few different ways. First, there's Patreon, where we're blessed to have an array of wonderful supporters helping the guys and I pay for some of the podcast's expenses. Those who contribute $10 a month or more will be mentioned right here as an honorary producer, helping keep you, our listeners, stocked with new episodes. But you don't have to contribute $10 a month to help us. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help keep us going, paying for hosting and storage fees, transcribing old and new episodes, promoting and expanding the podcast, and more I'm sure I can't think of at the moment. So let's bring out our honorary producers, and they are Will Arenz, Fahim Shirazi, James Obar, Adam Bellows, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel, Julie Dupree, Thomas Benson, Emma P., Janet Hansen, Tristan Oliver, Daniel Fleming, Michael Karen, Jason, Zach H., Ren Jacob, and the Status Quo Podcast. Your contributions are wonderfully helpful to us. Thank you so much. However, if Patreon isn't your style, you can contribute directly to us through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Fortress on a Hill. Or please check out our awesome store on Spreadshirt.com for some great Fortress merch. The link is in the show notes. And now, let's get back to the podcast. I, I, I think that, you know, that uh, it's also about, you know, our, we're, we're so, we're so um, entitled when it comes to how, um, how many different viewpoints are told in a, in a war film, a Western, a Western war film and that, um, you know that we can we that we can make movies that are in you know so much on the DOD side that they you know provide literal support and get to actually change the script, and 
um, we haven't got to that um, the, that part of talking about the uh, the concept of soul debt in the movie, but that the it essentially could be understood as what we now think of as moral injury in 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 some way, um, and that the Department of Veterans Affairs acknowledges moral injury, acknowledges this idea that. Uh, service members can come back with this ama- this uh, incredible weight on their so- shoulders from the things that they did or the things that they saw. <clears throat> but the Department of Defense does not acknowledge moral injury. It doesn't. It and um, and so you know we're as as especially as Americans, um, you know we're so uh, tunnel visioned by our concept of what of what war is and of the possibility of there being more than two sides more than seven sides you know in terms of understanding that kind of thing we're so indoctrinated to take the government line and call it you know bless it as being the line the the narrative the ideas we're wrapping ourselves around um without any further further debate and and especially with the absence of, of female narratives of you know that that all all of the events that happen in heaven and earth could have happened to a man and it, it could you know that could have been an interesting story in and of itself but that mm-hmm. it demonstrated what what happened to a woman and we're you know that's so out in left field for western cinema in a in a in a war film if we you know and this isn't just a a war film but it's definitely a film about war um but know that there's that there's that cognitive dissonance between all the different sides you know the 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 the, you know the raw raw we're we're happy we went to war we served our country we did our duty whatever the hell people want to say and understanding the real damage that happens to people and them acknowledging it um, and we, and we don't do that. So it's, you know, looking at it in that way. And like you mentioned, you know, with the, the reviewers are cliched watching however many films being used to the tropes and, and believing that they, you know, this added with this means that, um, I, this was beyond them. The, the entirety of this, of this plot of this narrative was something that, that I don't know that modern Americans, especially modern American movie reviewers could, uh, empathize with, or even try to understand. It's, you know that there would be <laughs> there would be assholes like uh, you know. Oh, she was on the side of the VC. I'm done watching this movie. I'm turning it off. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not even going to acknowledge that. And that's the thing is that we have to be willing to acknowledge all those sides. And we've gotten so used to ignoring everybody that when something comes out that doesn't ignore those sides, that we don't know what the hell to do with it. Uh, you make, I mean, you make a very good point about the role of women in war movies, because their role is, I mean, if you go back over the hundreds and hundreds of British and American made war movies, uh, they're either absent completely, they're just not in the story, they are nurses looking after wounded soldiers or some such, or they are wives worrying about their men off at war. That's it. That's, that's all. In the last... Five to ten years, largely due to the entertainment liaison offices, you've seen a bit more, oh, you can actually occasionally have a woman in a combat role, but it'll usually be quite tokenistic. And mm-hmm. ultimately, she's not, 
you know, that good. She's certainly not going to be crucial to the plot. It's very rare. A bit more in, so in spy movies, there are, you know, somewhat more progressive in massive inverted commas um, in that respect. But in war movies, it's like if there are any women there, they're kind of secondary. It's like a, almost like they're trying to wa- they're waving a flag saying, yes, women are just as good as men, but we don't really believe that. Yeah. Um, and that's it, pretty much. There aren't very many war movies that deviate from those very, very standard stereotypical tropes. And yet this one, the whole movie's about a woman. It's, you know, she's the protagonist. The whole film yep. and story revolves around her. Um, I can't think of another... I can't think of another war movie that does that. I'm trying to think of another military movie that does that. And the only one that's really coming to mind is G.I. Jane, which is a fairly terrible film and where it's certainly not a feminist film. No. Um, <laughs> it may have been attempting to be one, but it isn't one. Um, so, yeah, that in itself is very subversive. And I, again, I think one of the reasons why studios didn't look at this as a big moneymaker, because they're like, well, certainly at that time, they didn't think women would go and see war movies, really, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't see any real box office in it. And, and most fundamentally, I don't think they, even if they saw a potential, commercial potential in this movie, they don't know how to market it. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to sell something like this to people, because how do you easily sell this? It's such a complex layered story it's so emotionally deep but not in a way that you can ever get across in a trailer for it that i mean actually i don't know how on earth you would market this film <laughs> um, it would be hard to do it really yeah. would yeah and i'm a lot more broad-minded than most hollywood marketing executives so yeah 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 so now we move over to the uh stateside part of the story the the uh Lilai actually moving with steve to to the u.s to california um i'm assuming near camp pendleton where i i, I want to say that's where he was stationed and i loved the introduction of Lilai standing there in front of a giant but typical american refrigerator and just looking at all the food in it and you know, and at this point, you know, you you know, she's in, in terms of trying to survive just by the, the skin of her teeth, protecting herself and her son, to see this consumerism up close and personal, and just how huge it is. I, I could see my job being dropped at that at that moment too, and um, going to the supermarket, you know, and and seeing seeing all the food that is available, seeing how. Um, but just just seeing this this long line of of consumerism of of you know kind of capitalism run amok, I thought that that was a, a really good comment for us because it wasn't you know it wasn't so much about owning things or having a fridge filled with food. It's just about how much that it that the this unending pile of stuff and what you know what what does it really mean for us? Um, and I, I really liked looking at that through the lens of her, of, of seeing that just this dumbfoundedness about um, uh, trying to understand that American experience, that more consumerist experience that comes from uh, being in the States. 
and again, to, to go back to what I was saying before, that isn't like a Vietnamese perspective on American no, 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 consumerism. No. That's just a, the same perspective pretty much anyone had who mm-hmm. would have who hasn't previously experienced this, which is, you know, most of the people in the world. Mm-hmm. So, um, and yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there a, a bit where she's in the supermarket and she's like looking through all the different rice that's available? And she's like, uh, she. I want to say she picks up a great big like sack of rice because she doesn't understand that. Oh no, you can come again in three days' time and buy more. Yeah, yeah. And they, and it will always be there, and you don't have to worry. And obviously, that isn't actually strictly true. Um, and increasingly so, we're seeing how you know supply lines are somewhat breaking down, and that there are sort of mysterious food shortages. I mean, there are in this country at the moment. In you know, the strange things that you just can't buy currently. Um, and that's only going to, I think, happen more and more so. But at that point in time, it was like, you don't have to think. She's still thinking in terms of the, how much rice can I get today, mm-hmm. given how much money I have, in yep. the hope that I'll have enough rice going forward into the future. She's not thinking like an American consumer at all. But yet that is ultimately the life she's now kind of trying to live. And just like in the previous act of the film, it's her adapting to this new circumstance and in most ways doing very well at it, you know. Um, and where she doesn't do well, it's quite funny. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. She, it's not like she looks, she comes across as stupid or backward or anything. It's more just like, this is what it would be like if you've just never experienced this stuff before. And yeah, food is quite a big theme in this little section of the movie. In fact, I think throughout this whole kind of central act of the movie, you see like lots of food being thrown away. Mm-hmm. uneaten and it's like that just wouldn't happen in most of the world they wouldn't just take a like half-eaten chicken leg and just toss it away they can't no. afford to and so that kind of thing really hits home but hits home in a way that isn't condescending and patronizing towards us you know gluttonous westerners especially it's just sort of saying this is actually the reality for most people in the world mm-hmm. and maybe you know count yourself lucky that that isn't your reality um but told through this, like I say, quite humorous adaptation, you know, uh, fish out of water, almost part of the story. Um, so again, it's very engaging emotionally. You're not put off by any of this. Like I say, it's not sort of beating you over the head with an agenda or condescending to you. It's just kind of pointing out realities that you might not have thought of. So uh next thing is they they start um Steve and her start discussing uh, money troubles of of different kinds and he's telling her that he has a a promising job um coming up once he gets out of the out of the Marine Corps and they're supposed to pay him I think it was uh, 65,000 a year which it would be a a great income you know, circa 19, 1974, 1975. Mm. Um, and, but there's, there's not a lot, you know, it, it, I, I felt like when he initially told her this, that he was definitely holding back, you know, as to what would be the real reality of that. Um, and then a little bit later, they were having a, um, they were having a family meal, Leli, um, I can't remember. I think she said something, and the family, uh, aside from Steve, got after her about it. And Steve immediately jumps to her defense and says that he that she is um, his hero. You know that 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 
you know, he, he cares for her very deeply, but that their the, the judgmental nature that they've been treating her with is, is, is really messed up. He didn't outline that specifically, but that was the, the thrust I felt he was trying to get a, get across. But, um, I thought it was, it was wonderful that he, you know, that he backed up his partner and especially, you know, he, that he shared how difficult her transition had been to the States through that lens that you're talking about, that, that the, the, that this is entirely new for her. You know, we don't understand, we don't, we don't grasp how different this is from what was before and that people should, should have a little patience, should have a, a, a little, uh, um, a little more compassion in, in, in understanding those, those kind of things. Mm. Um, but it's, it's at that point that just after that, that discussion that her and Steve talk about what he's actually going to be doing in his new job. And he's going back overseas to sell guns. Mm. And you see her, 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 facial response to that. I mean, she tears him a new one verbally as well, but just the, it's the same level. It seems like the same level of betrayal that she went through earlier, um, with getting exiled from her village that, you know, it, it, it that how can he fail to understand the, the cycle of violence that he's he's perpetuating you know and and that it it completely he completely misses he's he's completely myopic to that reality he doesn't it doesn't i mean it does it does register for him him what it is but he's like i need this good life you know i want this sixty five thousand dollars for my family and uh, and i'm willing to do um what i need to to do that and it's also the common uh, trail for service members, you know, going to work for a contractor of, of some kind and they probably pay pretty well. Um, but it's a, it's a very common thing. And we don't, we don't, uh, ever really talk about it that much though, about in terms of the, the psychological weight there and about what we're adding back into, you know, adding back in, you know, uh, uh, Aegis missile defense systems and, and the F-35 and, and other, other things like that that are just going back to perpetuating war. But Stephen, he just entirely misses that. And it's at that point where her trust in him starts to, uh, I don't want to say get diminished, but it's, it's, it's much more tentative than, uh, than it was before. It's it's problematic because he is clearly quite a decent man at heart mm-hmm. um, for all the bad things he does do in the film. And as, as we'll get to in the next bit, it does go quite horribly wrong. Um, he is, a you know, a better man than most, I think, is, is sort of where, where he comes down. But like you say, very blinkered about this he's just thinking about um you know he's got this ex-wife that he's still paying money to and he's struggling to support his new family and you know he wants to get out of this this economic rut in his life and mm-hmm. this is an opportunity to do that but that's all he can really see is that it's an opportunity for that so i can you know get the get the monkey off my back he doesn't like you say think through the consequences whereas she can see the consequences having lived them um she can see them straight away there's no sort of period in between 
him telling her what this job is actually going to be and like her then reflecting on it and figuring it out she instantly recognizes oh that means you're basically going to be selling stuff that's either going to be shot at or dropped on people like me Mm -hmm. um and realizes just how different despite the fact that they've come together at the end of this war and that it seems like a uh like they could have lived happily ever after i guess Mm -hmm. is where i'm going um that because they still ultimately had very different experiences of that war um that they can't live happily ever after that that sort of idealistic wrap it up with a nice bow tie ending just isn't available to nope. them um and that's a lovely metaphor for how neither of the two countries the u.s well i guess three countries north south vietnam and the u.s um i know there were other countries involved in vietnam but without getting into all that now yeah, um, yeah. that none of those people could just resolve this thing by ending the war that doesn't resolve everything the, i mean you know the legacy of the vietnam war is still being lived by vietnamese people today and mm-hmm. to a large extent by americans today you know um and i liked that they did that a lot of films this would have been a three-act structure where it starts off bad she then meets guy and falls in love and then they go back to america where they have a few struggles but ultimately everything's fine in the end that's where the what? film would have ended um this film it's like no we're, we're still in some ways just getting started um that these people are living through the emotional echoes of that war still and like i say that's just a wonderful metaphor for how everyone involved in that war still was you couldn't just end it by signing a treaty or whatever or withdrawing troops or something it's like well all of those people still went through things mm-hmm. all of them are still carrying those it's particularly the you know the spiritual and emotional scars of that those are the things that ultimately never truly heal um you can do better and worse with them obviously over time um but it's always there to some extent as you know both of us know so i felt yeah again a great way of illustrating that to people in a very, very compelling moment of drama between those two, and really well acted. I mean, they're very well chosen, These those two. I thought they played off each other unexpectedly well. I was surprised by sort of how well they worked on screen together, because I wouldn't have necessarily picked them. Um, I mean, again, you know, she's great. Um, but picking Tommy Lee Jones as, as Steve not the role he would normally play, particularly at that point in his career. Um, and yet, he's great in it. I, I believed in him. I had a, you know, a large degree of understanding and compassion for the man. And yet, I still kind of found myself hating him at certain moments, because I think you're supposed to, because I think deep within him, there is a darkness from that war that does surface. And at this point, He's suppressing that. He's trying to ignore it for the sake of the job and the money and the trying to move on or whatever. Um, but it's all still there, as we you know, find out as this sort of relationship then phrase in the next part of the movie. So Leli starts to um, earn a bit of money behind Steve's back just because it, she is... Um, worried about the inevitable fallout um 
it doesn't, you know, not real specific on what she wants to do with it, but it's easily understood why she's doing that. And Steve starts uh, drinking more. I know he's he's been drinking um, pretty much since he got home, but in terms of seeing him drunk, seeing him lose control and be really angry this was this was the first time and they have an argument about guns um which definitely links back to his his job aspirations and he's talking about taking uh the boys his you know uh, Lelai's little boy and then their own their own son that they um had together about taking them shooting and she's very clearly not not on board with that and he ends up physically pulling a shotgun on her and pointing it at her and you see that he's at this point of desperation he tells her that he's up for uh, an admin board to be kicked out of the marine corps um i want to say he mentioned ptsd but i, I don't recall that specifically but I, I think that he did um and he tells her some of the horrible things that that he did over there um you know very specifically very uh, you know that that i'm i'm you know i'm sharing baseball stats but this is the things that i went through and um he asks himself you know if, if maybe he's he's nuts if he's he losing his mind um that about learning to um become a killer um and that even there he he even at one point points the barrel at himself mm-hmm. and then it it, it, t- it takes a, a, an interesting turn here where she she shares some of her dirt on the time that she was working uh with the vc and she coins it um different different skin same suffering in in terms of the 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 overarching idea of them trying to deal with their their war crimes how they they how they're perceiving that what they did was was wrong or unacceptable and that it weighs on them similarly almost to a a conversation that would have happen between um you know two war vets Mm -hmm. um this is between you know man and woman husband and wife um and and you can see that they have a good a good bonding moment there and then they continue fighting um steve ends up um kidnapping uh two of their sons and he holds having them with him over her head to try to have the divorce that she was seeking uh thrown out um and then, and then they talk about the uh, the concept of uh, soul debt. And I have a, a little quote here I want to read about that. Mm. Um, and so she goes to her her um, priest at the uh, at the Buddhist temple, and she's trying to figure out what to do next. You know, she she's looking for some guidance and some hopefully some hope. And he tells uh, the, the priest, after hearing what she has to say, tells her, quote, he has created much soul debt for himself. But if you fail to give him the opportunity to redeem himself, you will only increase your own soul debt. Uh, 
The man-hate that blinds you will blind any man you find in a future life. If you turn Steve away, you will be rejecting your own redemption. Child, you have forgiven the man who raped you, destroyed your country, harmed your family. And this is how it should be. Your karma is mixed with Steve. The future, the past are all the same. If you divorce, you will only have to come back again and work it out again. The path to Nirvana is never being safe, but tricky and steep. And if you walk only on sunny days, you will never reach your destination. Choose well, my peach blossom. So, what you were mentioning earlier, Tom, about the, um, about being stuck in a place where you don't have control over much of the situation, but you do have some control. You have, you know, your immediate circumstance that you can make choices in that, in that small little gap there that you're, you're allowed to. Mm. And I think that's exactly what they're hitting the nail on the head here with. Um, that even in uncontrollable situations, we still have to go back and live with them. You know, we have to go back with the choices that we made in those, in those times. And especially because Steve is so much like her, they do have a very clear empathetic understanding of who each other is. Mm. Um, and so, um, so she goes, so she gets on the phone with him. She tells him to come home. She says that she'll try harder. Um, and at some point in the discussion, Steve makes it clear that this is always going to be there, that, that the, that these things hanging over his head are, aren't going to leave. And he ends up killing himself. And it gave me a lot of questions about why he ultimately chose to do that. I mean, suicide is, 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 is never, uh, we, we should never consider it an, an acceptable solution, but to understand why people are in so much pain as to get to that point. Mm. And clearly here, Steve is, is very much in that place. And, you know, for, you know, just the, the, the turn of the narrative that, you know, there was, you could see this thing happen in his mind where he was like, I'm going to continue burdening this woman, no matter what I do. And I have to do something. Now, like I said, I, I don't, you know, I, I, none of us would ever tell somebody that they should do that. I would hope somebody like Steve would get help and, and, and hopefully be able to, to return to a, a, a greater point of normalcy. But you see that in him and you see the choice that he made. And, and it's hard for me to say the words that suicide could be shown as a choice of love, but that's how it felt to me. That's, that's what it was is that he knew that these burdens weren't just his burdens. They weren't going to remain his burdens. They were going to be the ones of his, of his wife, of his children. And he didn't at that moment had no idea what he was going to do about them. Um, what did you think about that, Tom? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I interpreted it, that he almost the primary, I mean, there's no, never any single one reason why someone kills themselves. Obviously, no, no, no. It's, it's, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, but that, yeah, I saw it as perhaps the primary reason why he does it is not 
to end his own suffering, which is, like you say, wrong, but understandable. Um, it's because he doesn't want to cause her to suffer. And that this comes so shortly after she goes and has that conversation about soul debt. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, like you say, their, their fates are intertwined. And again, this is a metaphor, fairly obvious metaphor. You know, this film is wearing its metaphor openly, that this is actually about two countries, not just two people. Mm -hmm. um, that if you don't give people a chance to try and resolve things or try and make things better, you're not just denying yourself. You're not just perpetuating your own resentment and your own suffering in a way, um, but that you're doing that to them as well. Because they have no opportunity. I mean, what do you expect them to do but self-destruct mm -hmm. in that kind of a circumstance? Um, and that is obviously then what happens. And so it's tying in something very personal. This is ultimately about one man killing himself because he either, uh, well, sort of like I say, a combination of things. He can't take it anymore and he doesn't want to inflict it on the people he loves anymore. Um, with something much more both geopolitical in terms of the war itself and how the two countries needed to try and find a way to move on from it without that just being a kind of ongoing hatred and mutual distrust um but also again something metaphysical that i don't believe in a metaphysical concept of balance per se um but I do believe in, if you like, a kind of moral exchange. I do believe in karma in that sense, that if you like, the more goodness you put into the world, the better the world is for you as well as everyone else. Um, and I kind of felt that's where they were perhaps touching on in terms of Buddhist philosophy was that she could quite rightly, and a lot of people would have understood and supported her, just walked away from this guy, just left him to mm -hmm. be a wreck but if she does that then he's a wreck and she will always live with that with the fact that she could have done something different but essentially chose to the the option to protect herself but in you know protecting herself she's also consigning herself to a life of what if and a life of never truly being able to forgive him because mm -hmm. obviously after he's dead she can't really forgive him or it's sort of almost meaningless at that point um, so I love the way that it brought together the now, by now, at the time we're recording, somewhat hackneyed trope of the traumatized Vietnam veteran. Um, wasn't so, certainly wasn't so hackneyed back then when the film was made, but how they brought together that something relatively familiar, I think, to quite a few people by that point with much broader perspectives, not only on the geopolitics of the war, but on this notion of a moral exchange whereby sometimes you have to sort of give a little something of yourself up, but it's ultimately better for you in the long run. Um, it's a simple way of putting it. Um, but also that she spends so much of the film trying to figure out who she can trust and ultimately concluding she can't absolutely trust anyone. Mm -hmm. And that's probably right and probably true. Um, but that she can choose to trust people. She can choose to try and 
if you like, be the better person than her fear and her instincts about survival and protection uh, might make her. Um, I kind of, I, I mean, I took a lot of different things away from, from what the Buddhist priest tells her. Um, there's a lot in that quote that you read out. It's, oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm trying to unpack little bits and pieces of it, but I'm not sure I'm actually doing that great a job. Um, at any rate, yeah, that's, that's what I was taking away from that point in the movie. Well, there's also the, <clears throat> and it's, you know, it's, it's, um, the relationship between combatants, um, that, you know, normal, most people would, would end up only seeing this as a, you know, a husband wife exchange, but that, you know, her offering her love and her empathy to him um for her you know it's 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 um very much about saving you know saving her own soul but at the same time she knows that she wants to be there for him you know that that and and in the way that two you know two war buddies are are there for each other um not just because they experience the same things but because they understand that the other guy did too and there's that that bond there and you know, it, 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 you wouldn't. It, it would, it would still be seen valid in a in a valid way if it was you know two guys, two war buddies having this discussion. But mm. I love you know subverting the, the the that obvious way and having a husband and wife who are war buddies, you know, who have talked deeply about the things that they went through and the things that they did, and that it's a. Um, a measure of loving the whole person you know that we can't like you mentioned about steve you know steve is he's generally a, a pretty good man a moral man but there are aspects to it that even make steve horrible to be around but we have no there is no way to separate those things it's all you know uh it's all taken together in one clump and you don't you don't get to decide what peace comes and what doesn't you know whether this is a somebody's having a a good mental day or having a breakdown you know that that they're can you be there for that person in those times can you be there when someone is at their absolute worst and especially when it's about a subject that you yourself carry significant weight alongside mm -hmm. um so yeah and i i i uh because I, th I think that if, if, if reviewers were to look at it today and were to, as they watch the movie, take it as, you know, that, that would you have the same comment? Would you make the same comment if this was a story about two war buddies versus a, a, a husband and wife in, in the way that they they did it? Because um, be, there would be a lot of guys just like, no, I, I can't talk to my wife about this. I can only talk, you know, you guys are the only ones who understand that. And that, you know, that, that fear and that lack of trust, it, you know, that guys may say that, but that doesn't mean that their spouse necessarily feels the same way. No, uh, sure. Yeah. Well, and that in, I mean, I understand why guys feel like that. You know, I do get it. I'm not trying to have a go here. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but, but in doing that, you are denying both them and you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's ultimately, I think, what, what the priest is saying. 
is that I don't even know if priest is the right word in Buddhism, but whatever. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not um, sure what the what the title is for their. Uh... Buddhists aren't exactly known for sending angry emails, so I think no, 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 no. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's ultimately the lesson there. That by shying away and by giving in to those self protective instincts, which we all do in life. So I do get it. I've done this and. I'm saying it was wrong when I did it. It was a bad decision when I did it, just as it, um, I'm saying it would be for anyone else, is that denying the chance to form a greater bond um, is a bad thing. And we should all try and be a little bit more brave and honest when it comes to that, trying to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um... We're getting to the to the end of the film here. Um, did she? I know she returned to Vietnam when she was older. Wasn't there another trip that she made um, when her sons were still younger? Um, or was it, am I thinking it's all one trip together? I'm trying to remember. No, as I recall, those are supposed to be two separate trips at two okay. different moments, or at least that's how I remember the film. Maybe both of us could be misremembering, but yeah, I think so. Um, so she goes back to Vietnam and she finds her mom in a, in a very decrepit state, um, having, having physical issues of, of all kinds. And her mom tells her that she's, uh, that she's a ghost that, uh, essentially that in the, for their culture, that, um, her spirit isn't being seen. By their ancestors, I think. I think that was the what she was trying to get across. And her brother um, has, you know, he's he's returned from his time um, fighting with the VC, and he is very angry and bitter about uh, the damage done uh, to Vietnam by by the Americans, and also that um, that finding his mom in this uh, poor and unworkable state. And he and he lays that on Leli. He lays that, you know, that that, you know, we could have done more if you were here. Why did you leave us? Why did you uh, abandon us? Um, I don't know that she coins it that way, but that that was um, that's where it's going. Yeah. 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 Um, and then um, some years later, she makes a second trip. Um, her, her, her mom has passed, but she brings her sons and they go to her village. And it's a very different experience than the first time. You know, people are are happy to see her, happy to see her kids. Um, no one, I, her mom had already had already uh, passed away. Um, and there's a you can see that the you know this whole thing in her introducing her sons to people in her village and and that there, there was a, a reconnection for her there in terms of the land, in terms of the, the place of her ancestors, one that did not happen earlier. It took her that long to feel comfortable with that idea again. Um, and um, that's essentially, that's essentially the, uh, the end of the film. Um, there's uh a couple different little quotes that she made at the end that I wanted to go over. And uh, one that's very powerful to me um, 
she said that, you know, in cemeteries, there are no enemies. You know, they're just dead soldiers. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a thought something like that when I first went to Arlington National Cemetery, because buried in Arlington, there are um, Confederate soldiers that died. There's not very many of them, but there, there are some there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that, that we, we cling to this idea of friendly and enemy so tightly that we don't really reckon with that, that both sides have to carry the same weight of, of one way or another, whether they be physical injuries, psychological injuries, environmental damage to their, to their homes. Um, you know, that there, there really is a, a firm, a firm weight in that. Um, and that, and, and actually through, through, you know, Vietnam veterans, you know, going back there and, and talking to people, meeting with their former, um, the former enemy combatants that, that fought against them. And, you know, that they're, they're, this is very possible what Lee Lai goes through here. Granted, she is returning to her country's home, whereas, you know, Americans, you know, that never would have never called Vietnam home. Um, but that they wrapped their minds around the idea of the destruction that they brought. Um, but my, and uh, the, 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 the last thing I'll add to that is, is what she says, right. As the film wraps talking about heaven and earth changing places many times. And of course, heaven and earth, like you mentioned earlier, you know, Vietnam and America um, sky and land, I think was one thing that she said um, East and West you know, that the are, and, and, and it is about specifically that idea, that idea of what is seen, seen as friendly, what is seen as combative, what is seen as the enemy. Um, and that we try to reach for a much greater understanding of that back and forth than we, we generally have. And that it's in that over a lifetime, our allegiances are going to change. They're going to be affected by all of that. And we have to look at it in the total arc. You can't just look at it. Well, this dude chose to go to this war. He fought. This happened. The end. It mm. has to be looked at as uh, a reckoning of the whole of the of the complete tale. There. Yeah, the line about heaven and earth switching places. Uh, I mean, another parallel would be, of course, masculine and feminine, because mm-hmm. um, they switch places several times throughout mm-hmm. the course of the movie, particularly in Lilai and Steve's relationship, but also in in other places too um and <laughs> yeah i mean it's not it's not the most satisfying of endings and i don't mean that in the sense that it uh because the resolution is uneasy i think you couldn't finish this movie with a simple easy resolution you can find some resolution but it's always going to be a somewhat uneasy difficult one um but also just simply because how on earth do you finish a story like this? No matter what ending they'd chosen, I think I would have come away feeling a little bit like... Uh, yeah, that I just wouldn't have been entirely satisfied with it. Um, I don't think you can ever end a story like this in an entirely satisfactory way. And you shouldn't, because real life does go on. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know all of the real people that were actually depicted in this film um they're all you know their lives carried on after the events of the movie finished so as as to the whole 
yeah, this goes back to what I was saying about the moral exchange, um, this switching between heaven and earth, this, you know, the way things keep changing roles and switching sides throughout the course of the movie. Um, not only does it illustrate that, in fact, to a large extent, that notion of being on opposing sides is actually a deception, a sort of willing self-deception in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. um, while it may also simultaneously be a pragmatic necessity that you have to pick a side because there are two sides, because so many people believe in this deception, it becomes a reality, so then you have to choose. Um, and that's a, something that very much comes up in this movie at, in practically every moment, to be honest. Um, but yeah, like I say, this notion of a moral exchange that you can, even in dire circumstances, you still have some degree of choice and you can choose either the, if you like, negative, self-protective, almost isolationist approach to things, or you can try and maintain human bonds, spiritual and emotional bonds that ultimately like what else really is there of meaning in life um yeah. uh and even though that will sometimes be hurtful and dangerous and it will make you vulnerable better things will come from that um after the pain and the fear you will find a more profound bond and that's something that is almost sacred or perhaps is sacred um so you see what I mean? It's not as simple as actions have consequences, but it is no, like no. If, if you choose a more, if you like masculine, you know, shut off, somewhat paranoid and fearful and hostile approach to things, that will, you know, ripple out into other areas of your life. You will face some degree of consequence from that. Likewise, if you choose the other approach. And so there is always a sort of exchange between your choice and the consequences of it, um, whether it's for you and whether it's for someone else. And going back to what we were saying about Steve, the guy, at least in part, kills himself because he doesn't want to cause someone he loves to suffer. Mm -hmm. But of course, by killing himself, he causes her to suffer. Mm -hmm. So again, this notion of an exchange. Um, that's at the core of this. And I think what he may what oliver stone may have been trying to say by telling this story is that he's not it's not as simple as both sides should just forgive each other and move on in that sort of you know like that childish way that when you're when you're you know having a fight with your brother or something and your parents tell you to do that it's yeah. like yeah but that, that doesn't really work though does it um we can fake it if you want <laughs> it's usually what happens but you know there is still go always going to be some degree of lingering resentment or competition or whatever it is that caused the fight in the first place um it's not nothing as trite or as simplistic as that it's more that forgiving is good for everyone mm-hmm it doesn't allow you to simply move on. There is no simple moving on from something like the Vietnam War, but there is a degree of forgiveness and understanding and compassion that we can build that at least heals some of that horror. You'll never heal all of it. And that's why the ending of the film is so kind of unsatisfactory and uneasy is because all of this pain that can't be solved and, and healed is still going to be there. But some of it you can. And that's far better than nothing 
It's certainly far better than remaining in a situation of mutual hostility and paranoia and hatred and resentment and shame and fear and guilt and grief and all the rest of it. If you can move on from some of that, then it's better for everyone. That's kind of ultimately what I took away from this film, and I totally agree with it. Um, if that's what Oliver Stone was getting at, then, yeah, I'm totally on board. Absolutely. Great point. Um, I remember Tim Robbins talking about how um, he was referring to the Shawshank Redemption about how that his character, how Andy Dufresne earned his his happy ending, you know. Mm. Um, and and again, it's you know similar to this that the you know the the horrors of him being in that prison for that long, especially that he was a a legitimately innocent person, you know it's it's not always going to go away. But after having seen everything we we went through, that it's easy and and cathartic to say that he did earn the 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 peace and the goodness that he got at the end. Um, and I would have to say for this film that despite that kind of, you know, that kind of uneasy ending part, um, that the peace that Leelai found for herself was legitimately earned, you know, and, and, it, and it wasn't gotten, you know, that she didn't, she didn't, you know, just go find herself a new house and a, a new situation there in, in, in America, you know, just become another, another, um, another consumer in that way but finding because there's there's no uh, there's no spirit in that there's no connection in that and she was willing to go back to these places you know she went back to Steve and said hey I'm with you I'm in this I I, I know it's hard but I'm not gonna I'm if, if you're looking for somebody to give up it's 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 not going to be me and as she you know makes those steps for herself and and ultimately coming back and making her peace with her village, her family, that um, that she did do the hard work of getting that that little drop of a of a good ending. You know, if we want to, you know, if we want to coin it as a good ending in that way. Um, but that the that the um, the nature of being pulled between two two poles wasn't going to go away, but that she had a, attempted to accept her place in it. Um, you know, sometimes the more powerful thing isn't the, you know, the recovery in and of itself. It's that someone chose to go for it. They chose that I was going to do this and, you know, that it was hard and I went through a lot of stuff for it, but I'm, I'm better because of it. You know, even mm -hmm. if it was hard, even if it tore my soul apart, you know, that, 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 um, and it's not to say it was easy. You know, it, I, I think some people make that make that typical error of thinking that, you know, if I if I just say the magic words, if I say, you know, I forgive them or, or this or that, that it mm. it comes with its own set of benefits like that. And it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, the, the, nope. the resentment against the enemy, missing your fallen comrades, um, all of the damage that can be done to the human soul in the context of war. You know, we never put any of those things down. And so I think that Oliver did a good job of mapping those two things together at the end, that there was, you know, there was some peace. It wasn't complete, total peace, but there was some that she found. 
and that we as the you know the west western world uh viewing media like this that we need to be uh more willing and able to accept those um those harsh realities and to dive into it you know earnestly which is something that most americans don't do um mm. we have this this very very detached view of our history of our you know we cling to the heroics and and shun the bad things and if if we do admit bad things they were bad eggs they were bad apples they're not uh it was not something that that anyone could have done anything about which isn't true in 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 the slightest um but i think yeah i think oliver did a good job putting those two together that there was a a, a, a modicum of peace and the understanding that it goes on that it doesn't end it doesn't end for any any combatant i don't think it it deal with it in, in one way or another well and just like his previous films but even more so with this one it's very therapeutic mm -hmm. um, I can imagine a lot of people I mean I, I don't even know anyone directly who fought in Vietnam on any side I don't have any personal connection to that war um, and yet I found it therapeutic um it, you know, a war that happened before I was born and that doesn't sort of certainly personally mean an awful lot to me. Yeah. Um, however much it might mean politically and in other, you know, aspects of my life. Um, so I can only imagine that for people from any side of that conflict, this film can help them. You know, it's useful to them. It can map out a path beyond the usual answers to these things because all too often i mean you see this this is a terrible place to source anything to be honest but you see this a lot on reddit right <laughs> anyone has any kind of emotional problem on reddit it's oh you need therapy and then you'll solve your emotional problem and it's like yeah okay therapy i'm not you know, trying to just dismiss therapy here at all it can be very useful to a lot of people for a lot of reasons but most of the time what you get out of it is better ways of dealing with your emotional troubles rather than understanding and completely overcoming them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess it does depend how deep those troubles lie. I mean, if they're, if it's some relatively surface thing, then you may be able to totally overcome it. But when it's something deep like this, you know, guilt and grief and what we've been discussing throughout this whole conversation, um, th those things never can be truly overcome. What you can do is find a way to, like you say, get some peace. If you can not feel like that most of the time, mm -hmm. that's certainly a hell of a lot better than feeling like that most of the time. Um, so that's what happens in terms of, of Leli's arc in the, in the story. In the end, she does get some degree of peace and resolution. And so do we, the audience. Mm -hmm. It's you, you said it up top. It's a very cathartic movie. There's, you know, a lot of there isn't actually that much blood in this film, but there's a lot of like there's a lot of mud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of almost in place of the blood. Um, there's a lot of dirt in this film, uh, and more importantly, there's an awful lot of pain. But there is also a huge amount of inspiration to compassion. It's very hard, I can imagine for most people who actually sat through this whole film 
rather than the ones you mentioned earlier who would like turn it off 20 minutes in because oh she's just some you know commie peasant or whatever yeah um for anyone else they must have come away from this feeling more being a more compassionate person feeling more compassion understanding these things better and being provoked to actually carry that forward to not just say oh that's the end of the movie and that's the lesson and then you forget about it the following day but you know to actually make a difference to people in just the same way as as platoon and and born on the fourth did but i i think even more so because it's such an unusual and unexpected movie you know no one else would have made a film like this except oliver stone let's face it no one no one would have even thought to um and that's a testament to the man of course um that he was willing and at that point in his career when he was really quite hot mm-hmm. you know Os- oscar winning film director oliver stone and he was like no fuck it i'm going to tell this story that you know even if it's a commercial failure for the people who do get to see it it will be so cathartic and therapeutic that that's the value of it that's its importance as a movie and i think he did it i think he did it brilliantly um I'm kind of in love with this movie, as you probably got from the way that I'm talking about it quite enthusiastically and have almost nothing but overwhelmingly positive things to say about it. But it's because it is such a rarity. There are so few movies like this, and I can't think of another one that does this so well. Um, So yeah, everyone go out and watch it. If you haven't seen this movie or if you haven't seen it like me in like 30 years or something, um, possibly not that long, but yeah, it's... It will bring out the best in people, I think. Yeah, definitely, guys. Please, uh, if you if you haven't had a chance to watch this movie, it is absolutely worth worth the watch. And uh, as a as a veteran, as a soldier, I I found it very cathartic. And um, I, uh, you know, it's it. I so enjoyed Platoon and Born on the Fourth for their for their honesty and that you know this this movie certainly certainly does not fail and especially that it shows a um a different arc to the american gi experience than the normal one that's shown in the movie and even including platoon and born on the fourth that you see um this person you know uh, drink uh steve drinking a lot having flashbacks you know dealing with ptsd on a on a very serious level and and then uh, ultimately killing himself that there are a lot of veterans i think that could empathize with that place you know knowing that you um contain in you you know the chance to do awful things even awful things to the people that you care about and wanting to find some peace wanting to find some um some kind of uh, respite away from that and it like we discussed earlier you know it doesn't uh, it may get a little bit easier but these are generally the things that they that people carry these are the things that they carry all the time um but uh but back to what you were saying about really loving it is i i do i i would honestly put it up next to platoon and born on the fourth as being at least equal to if not greater than the stories that they got across and in, in, that oliver got across in those films and those films were glorious as well i'm watching platoon for the first time i i was just so enlivened to see a 
realistic depiction of how soldiers deal with each other like that. Um, and in this one, it, and especially both the, taking both the Vietnamese angle and the storytelling power and, and empathy of, of a woman being the protagonist, I think it was uh, it was a, a great risk. And, you know, I it, it really sucks to me that not very many people saw it. But uh, um, but yeah, such a powerful movie, such a powerful movie. I, I, I um, yeah, and, and, and I, uh, now I lost my train of thought. That's probably a good place for us to end right there. Yeah, I think we're both, uh, we're struggling to quite put into words anything else about this film, except just the kind of profound impact it had on, on both of us. Um, yeah, let's wrap it up. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Tom, thank you, uh, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me about this today. Um, do you have? Uh, is there anything that you wanted to uh, share with the audience? Upcoming work that you wanted to to plug a little bit to be on the on the lookout for? Uh, well, as I imagine, regular listeners of, of my podcast will know. Um, both the documentary and the new book are coming out at some point later this year, but I can't guarantee exactly when because both are not quite finalized yet um but yeah i mean keep an eye on my site spyculture.com because there's always more content than i'm doing coming out and there's a few major things um in the pipeline like the book and the documentary that i think are, are really something special i've really especially with the book because i've had more control over it i'm not directing the documentary um really try to sort of push the boundaries of of what it's possible to say about these kinds of things and in particular the whole government entertainment media relationship um but yeah nothing sort of imminent certainly well i uh i for one am very excited to see the documentary and the book so i uh i hope you'll come back and uh chat with us uh again and talk about those when uh, that finally comes around oh of course of course i'd, I'd love to um, I'm actually really interested to hear what you have to say about both of them, because as always, when we discuss, I mean, we're coming from a similar place in that we're quite similar people, but we have such different backgrounds and experiences. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's always fascinating for me and I'm always learning stuff. And I, I'm guessing it's the same for you that, you know, we, we have a I don't know why this is. We have a, this natural kinship, me and you, um, given that we come from quite different places and what have you but we do and that's a great thing to have and yeah love talking to you man and looking forward to the next one uh, the, the feeling is absolutely absolutely mutual brother i uh, i really enjoy these talks we have and uh i'm uh, we uh, just to let everybody know um tom and i now have a uh, a monthly recording spot so hopefully you'll be hearing quite a few more of these as uh time goes on so uh, th thanks again, t again Tom. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, man. Anytime. We're on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill and also at Facebook.com at Fortress on a Hill. You can find our main blog page and our full collection of episodes at www.fortressonahill.com. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, patreon spotify you name it almost anywhere you listen we're already waiting for you and hey we're always in the market for more patreon supporters please consider becoming a patron 
at patreon.com. And if you're not into giving us a monthly payment, think about giving us a couple bucks on PayPal. The link is in the show notes. Skepticism is one's best armor. Never forget it. We'll see you next time. And listen to my song. I hope you'll pay attention. I will not 